It's not flashy. It's not fun. It's not sexy. He might be the last guy you think about on a given offense. But nothing works without a lead blocker. Let's take a moment to appreciate those guys on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can always find this show on your favorite audio podcast listening platform, even the SiriusXM app, which we're now on. We're partnered with them. That's very cool. You can also find the show on Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app or, of course, YouTube. And thank you so much to those of you who do listen to this show every single day. I appreciate you guys so much. Today on the show, we are going to talk a little bit about lead blocking. And I also want to do the Everyman series for uh, CJ Ham and Josh Oliver. If there is some major breaking news that has happened, and I am not covering it, and you're wondering why, it's because this is a pre-recorded episode. I'm actually out of town this week. Uh, so if I'm a little late to the news, I apologize for that. But we will get to whatever we need to get to uh, next week, if anything. Uh, on Monday, we'll get to if there's a big Jefferson extension or whatever we have to talk about. Um. Before I get into the Everyman series for Josh Oliver and CJ Ham, I would like to talk about um, just the art of lead blocking. I think it's something that we've, we very much take for granted, and it's something that we kind of have learned to not really like because there's a lead blocker on the field. There's one less wide receiver on the field, and wide receivers, well, they get the big yards, right? And that's not necessarily as fun, but it's all part of a of a greater system and the way that these things play off of each other is really the crux of offensive design. But how much do you know about lead blocking? Like how much do we often think about lead blocking with like, what's it like? To, I mean, it's not just run out, throw yourself at a guy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's most dangerous man. Um, but truly a lead blocker, whether it is a Josh Oliver tight end, whether it is a fullback, which is your kind of classic, whether it's a guard pulling, Lead blocking can take many different forms, especially in the versions of Vikings offense that they look like they've been practicing, at least um, some of the concepts that seem to be stolen from the Kyle Shanahan world, which, you know, personnel moves have also kind of uh, confirmed that the uh, at least that's the theory that I've been working off of. And it seems by what we can see, seems like I'm right. Uh whether or not it is a tight end or a fullback or a wide receiver, basically the Shanahan playbook just has a whole bunch of different ways to get to the same blocking concept. We don't need to go over it all a lot in detail, but if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Zorro. Zorro is a play call that the Vikings will probably use a lot. It's their outside strong lead, outside zone strong lead call. Um, so outside zone blocking rules, you're kind of responsible for the gap play side of you. Um, and you usually have to overtake outside shoulders of whoever is there. Uh, if there's nobody on that gap, you kind of get to the guy next to him, get a hand on him for the double team, get up to the backer. Um, that's generally the rule, unless this, the play specifies otherwise. And the lead blocker in those play calls, so you have outside zone rules, and then you have a lead blocker that is either taking most dangerous man or sometimes they're it, it depends on the play call. Their instruction is to take someone. Sometimes that means you go find the will, the weak side linebacker, if it's a zone weak call. 
uh, or if it's a zone strong call and you want to throw the defense off. Um, that can happen because a lot of defenses, they will key their run fits to a lead blocker to the fullback. So they'll say, they'll tell their linebackers, hey, you know, where the fullback's going, he's the lead blocker. Running back's going to be following him. So wherever the fullback goes, that's where you go. And you now know what side the running back is going to. And so sometimes you will throw the, the fullback off to the backside of the play and have him block what, like, what we would know as, like, split zone, uh, which is outside zone, let's say the runs to the right, then you have the lead blocker block to the left uh, and, you know, cut off a, an a edge rusher or something like that. And the hope is... You pull that out when linebackers start flowing a little bit too easily with one side of the run. If they start flowing a little too easily with the fullback, you send the fullback the wrong way, send the linebackers the wrong way. Boom. Now you've made great angles for everybody to go reach those players. Um, but it, it can also throw the defense off to come from a bunch of different places. Because if you have, let's say you have, let's go crazy. Let's go with Josh Oliver and CJ Ham on the field at the same time. Or it can be TJ Hawkinson, right? This can be he can block too. Um you would maybe sometimes have both of those guys lead block. And now they're double teaming someone. Or you will have uh somebody, you know, one of those guys just kind of become part of the regular outside zone system. Um and another one of those guys becomes the true lead blocker. So what a lead blocker is usually looking at is the concept of most dangerous man. That's what they will very often, I wouldn't even say usually, because every play call, so every playbook is so different. I probably can't speak in that many generalities. But what they are often looking at conceptually is most dangerous man. The way I like to describe this is if you are CJ Ham and you disappeared, you got raptured in the middle of the play, who makes the tackle? If you aren't there, who would make the tackle? Who is the guy you're most scared of making the tackle? Most dangerous man. Go find the first guy. Um... Ultimately, it's go find someone and hit him, right? But it's not just hit him. It's not just deconstruct and hit him, right? You're trying to win a shoulder. And it's the same with all blocking. But with lead blocking, it's especially important because the running back is following you. Um, it's also, I mean, this this is a really big one for, you know, big bodied guards and tackles if they're pulling. Or, you know, if they're kicking out into, um, or not kicking out, but if they're like swinging out on some kind of toss play or something like that and they're out in space, it's not necessarily run up and hit the guy. What you want to do is create an angle so that the running back can't see the defender behind you. You want to completely eclipse him, right? Obscure him from the running back's position. Um, this is also entirely not universal. There are absolutely run plays where you want to win on a specific shoulder and say, okay, you know, this is outside zone. You want to get to his outside shoulder. And if you can't get to his outside shoulder, move him to the outside so that the running back can cut back. But give him a place to go. I prefer in a lot of cases, if you can, you know, give the running back the option um, and sort of cover him up and say, hey, you could go outside or inside up to you and whatever else the play needs. You know, you can do that. That's what I prefer. But I understand that that's not universal and, and, and honestly not even common. Um, but for a lead blocker, the understanding is know where you're aiming on the defender and try to overtake that way right? If you're trying to aim to the inside shoulder, then hit that inside shoulder. And then some of it is, yeah, then go win your Oklahoma drill. Um, get, keep your pads low, throw your body into them, use all that big muscle and get them. Um, 
a lot of times the lead blocker will be running, reading the play as much as the running back is. Uh, you know, they'll be reading, you know, hey, if they if go, if they stunt to the right side, you have to go left or whatever. They have to read um, zone, read the play. And, you know, sometimes on outside zone, strong lead, the, the fullback uh, will do the same read as the running back. They'll go, OK, to the outside is where we want this run to go. But let's say that's not there. It almost never is. Um, then we go, you know, down to the next gap and the next gap and the next gap over. And then you tell the running back who's actually carrying it, hey, just follow the fullback. He'll t- he'll take you where the run goes. Um, and you can kind of run that as the staple. And then you throw the fullback to the wrong side sometimes. And then you actually, you know, have the fullback be uh, a random part of the blocking assignment. Or like you can have the fullback go to the wrong side and then have a tight end come over and use a whole bunch of motion to confuse which is which, have a tight end come over, and he's the lead blocker. For the Vikings, obviously the two primary lead blocking skill players, um, because the primary lead blockers will honestly be the guards, but the the skill players that are lead blockers will be C.J. Hamm and Josh Oliver. I'm sure you get plenty of T.J. Hawkinson out there. I'm sure you get plenty with wide receivers. You know, you can have K.J. Osborne lead block too in some situations, depending on the personnel. And the difference for those guys I think is about what does this particular week's opponent want to do against these different guys? Do th- how do they respond to two tight ends on the field versus two running backs on the field? Is it, diff- is it a different group of people? And do we have plays that we like against that group of people or the other group of people? Um, that I think is going to decide a lot more about snap counts than like a camp competition. I don't think these guys are in like a competition with each other for the lead blocking job or anything like that. I think it's going to be more strategic, you know, when they see a tight end walkout versus when they see a fullback walkout, do they set something up differently and which one would we rather attack? Or would we rather stay in three wide receivers, keep those guys on the bench this whole time. And let's have KJ Osborne be our lead blocker because for whatever reason, they think they can stay in base. Let's get our fast guys out there, right? Like you, having that flexibility and all those tools in the toolbox is going to be a really big part of the Vikings attempt to fix their run game. We know one of these two guys very well. We don't know the other one very well. So next, I want to do uh, the Everyman Series entry for Josh Oliver and then the Everyman Series entry for CJ Ham at the end. Before I do either of those, however, I want to talk to you about America's number one sports book, and that is FanDuel. And it is America's number one sports book for a reason, for a few reasons. One of them is the awesome promotions that they always have. I'll tell you about one of those in a sec, but also that they are safe, secure, and easy to use, and they pay out instantly when they win. And it is a one-stop shop for all things gambling. You can go find bets on MLB games, NFL futures, you know, who will win the NFC North, that kind of thing. And also stuff like horse racing and all, all kinds of crazy stuff. And if you go right now to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, you can get up to $200 in bonus bets just for making a $20, uh, $20 bet on the MLB. 20 bucks in, uh, you can get up to $200. You get 10 times your bet. So you put in $1, you get 10 bucks. You put in $20, you get 200 bucks. Up to 10 times your or 10 times your bet up to $200 at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the MLB. Thank you so much for those of you who listen to this show every single day. My hashtag every day or sound off in the YouTube comments and if you can or on Twitter or whatever. I want to take you to Templeton, California, somewhere around 2005, I guess. Uh, an eight year old boy says that he is going to play in the NFL. Not really a remarkable thing. It's a, a child's dream. But 
This eight-year-old boy has a father that played for a couple of years in the 80s at Cal Poly, an uncle that actually got to the NFL, multiple MLB players in the family, tons of athletes all over. There's many, many, many more. I don't have, I'm not going to list them all. The Olivers, uh, and it's not just the Olivers, but Josh Oliver's family is a family of pro athletes. It just runs in the DNA. Uh, it runs in the mentality, and there's sort of a nature-nurture thing, right? Hey, he's got the DNA to grow up eventually to six foot five, uh, but also he has the support system of a whole bunch of people that made it in the pros and know what it takes and understand the work ethic that it takes. Um, when he says, I'm going to play in the NFL, everybody's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like it's nobody bats an eye. It's totally the normalest thing you could hear from an eight year old in that family. Um, competition brings the family together. Sports bring the family together. You know, in these everyman series things, I ask a lot, like, what are sports for? And that's like the the thing I start the show with nowadays. You find, let's find some joy, find your joy. And really, it's find what sports do for you. Um, why are you here, you know? And for the Olivers, sports bring the family together. And boy, those must be some pretty fun games of backyard football. <laughs> As an elementary school by the an elementary schooler, by the way, he's outrunning middle schoolers. He is an incredible athlete, as you would expect from somebody of that pedigree. Uh, later, somewhere between freshman and sophomore year, he balloons up to six foot three, ends up being six foot five when all is said and done. Um, but he's one of those kids that like shot up really fast and then like didn't know how to walk anymore, <laughs> which happens a lot of times. You know, when when kids grow up, you know, gain six inches overnight, they you got a whole new body and you have to like learn how to use it again. But that will happen. And once he learns how to use his athleticism, that athleticism will carry him through many, many sports. Um, he plays multiple sports and he plays multiple, multiple positions in football. He's mostly a linebacker in high school, but when he's recruited, he is listed at ath athlete. He's just a jock, man. And he gets he goes to uh, San Jose State eventually, and they recruit him as a linebacker. He got like all conference honors or whatever. Uh, he like won awards at linebacker. Um, but he goes to a, a local school and they kind of say, hey, eventually you have the tools to play tight end. And we're into that, um, which will happen pretty quickly. He will actually get in a little bit uh, first standing out, of course, as a blocker doing the dirty work. And that will be the foundation of Josh Oliver's career. And I, I say foundation, not the thing he necessarily builds off of, but the thing that is always there. And even if everything on top of it crumbles, you can build on it again. Um, he will eventually break out more as a receiver, too, at San Jose State uh, and, and emerge as a receiving threat. He'll receive all conference honors, get some stats you could be pretty happy with. But um, blocking is the thing that gets him the opportunities, you know, that'll keep you on the field. That'll also get you drafted when you're that kind of all around guy in the third round to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Sure enough, eight year old boy's dream of becoming an NFL player. Easy, easy work, baby. You made it. <laughs> but once that dream is fulfilled, it unfortunately doesn't get off to the start that you hope. I think it's after like 10 games in his first year, he's got like three catches uh, not much at all. It, it's a weird world there, but, um, you know, rookies not coming along right away. That's pretty normal. Uh, so it's, it's 
still one of those things where if you look at like what Jags fans say, it's like, yeah, he hasn't done a lot for a third round pick, but hey, he's gotten in a little. We'll see what he develops into. But unfortunately, Jaguars fans will not because he will fracture his tailbone in a November game and get put on season ending IR. And in the next camp, which I believe is 2020, he will suffer a foot injury and get put on IR again. And it's not until 2021 that he gets a true chance because the Jaguars will dump him for a seventh round pick over to the Baltimore Ravens. And that's where he really finds himself. Two injuries like that, you know, we talk a lot about inertia on these everyman series things. The the momentum that a career has when you kind of you're a star in high school and then you go to college and then you learn how to become a star in college and then you go to the NFL and then you try to learn how to become a star in the NFL, right? But if an injury derails that, puts you behind a year, you're playing catch up, you kind of are always going to be playing catch up even 5 years later because you're, you know, where everybody else was a year ago. In 2021 playing catch up like that, by the way, expectations, right? We talked about that last week, Marcus Davenport. Um, the expectations are a lot different when you're a third round pick versus when you just got traded for a conditional seventh. They're going, are you even going to make the team? We have Mark Andrews here in Baltimore. You don't have to be the guy. So what is the foundation? It's blocking. It's the dirty work. And as a blocker, Josh Oliver will truly emerge enabling the Ravens to do some of the 12 personnel stuff that they wanted to do with uh with Lamar Jackson he's a role player it's unsexy and it's unflashy it's very different from the kind of boisterous I'm going to be an NFL superstar stuff that an eight-year-old's brain will come up with but hey you're a pro football player and part of being a pro football player innately outside of the the Randy Moss echelon of nothing matters because you're so much of a freak. It's innate to football that it's a team game and the best players will be willing to do the dirty work, especially at tight end, a, a, a position where dirty work is just part of it. I think of like Rob Gronkowski. A lot of people would call him the greatest tight end ever. And I mean, look, we could argue about like Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez or whatever, but um you'd at least have an argument that he's the best blocking tight end of all time. <laughs> I mean, he loved the dirty work. It's not what he's known for, but it's part of the job. Uh, and it's a part of the job that you can't, you can't do without. And Josh Oliver, I mean, after his couple years in Baltimore, I think regarded as one of the better blocking tight ends in the entire league right now just doing that dirty work. And here he is, similar to Baltimore. He doesn't have to be the guy. TJ Hawkinson's the guy. But he has to carve out that role and be that guy that is willing to put his head down and do the thankless job of winning the outside shoulder of a Sam linebacker or a Will linebacker while somebody else gets all the credit for the run. There is no shame in that. You just got to be okay with it. And by all means, Josh Oliver is not okay, not just okay with it. He excels at it. It's who he is. And, uh, that's going to be the way that you carve out a career. You can also carve out a career at fullback with a very similar mentality, and it's somebody that we know very, very, very well in C.J. Ham. As a young running back in Denfield High School in Duluth, Minnesota, a young Cortez Ham Jr., also known as C.J., 
gets uh, a few offers from a few local schools. And he actually wants to go to UMD, stay close to home, University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, but he didn't want to go there, ironically, as his mother, Tina Ham puts it, uh, because they were going to put him at fullback. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to play running back. Um, you know, it's funny. They all look at this in hindsight, and they think that it's, it's destined. The Hams are a very pious family. Uh, C.J. Ham's father is a minister and would take him out as a kid to do street ministry and to do ministry at prisons and to try to spread the good word to the people that they viewed as, you know, people who really needed the inspiration to help. Ultimately, the C.J. Ham story is one you probably know pretty well. At Augustana, he plays, he actually does play a little fullback in his freshman year as uh, he's not a starting running back, so it's just kind of how you can get in, but then he does become the starting running back. At Augustana, he gets a thousand yard season there. That's that's uh, a big mark for that school. Um, and he thinks that he has done enough to get drafted, but alas, he has not. Um, he's with his family during that, and uh, C.J. Ham's relationships to his family are everything to him. And when the going gets tough, for example, you know it's draft weekend, and you thought maybe you'd get selected, but your agent hasn't even so much as called you once, has not heard a thing from anybody, you kind of know that day's going to go by and you're not going to get drafted. There's no conversation at all. And that's a hard thing to go through, but it's not nearly as hard when you got your family nearby. Um, by this point, he is with his, I don't, I don't know if they're married yet, but he's with his wife, wife or at least soon to be wife, Stephanie. Um, they met in college which is really when C.J. Ham found his faith. He, he wrote a, a, an interesting piece a couple of years ago himself. He was talking about his faith, which if family is everything to C.J. Ham, faith is the second everything. It is also everything to him. Um, and he says, you know, I mean, look, he grew up son of a minister. He's going to be a religious kid, but also that there's this moment in everybody's life, every truly pious person's life, uh, where you kind of, where it hits you, and where you really find your own version of faith, and it's not just what your parents are telling you anymore. And for him, that happens in college. He wasn't particularly uh, devout, and he wasn't really regular about it for the first parts of college. But as college went on, um, he sort of found a comfort in it. And it's through that, which is how he meets Stephanie, and, and they get together. They now have, uh, I think, two kids, or at least they had two kids at the as of the writing of the articles that I researched for this, all of that will be in the show notes, by the way. Uh, yell at me if it they're not. But from getting a thousand yards his last year at Augustana, I mean, you know the rest of the story. He uh, doesn't get drafted. The Sunday after the draft, he is at church and his phone rings and his agent has finally called him. He's not going to get a contract, but he's going to get a rookie minicamp invite. The thing where you're not actually on the 90 man roster, but you got to prove that that you belong on it. You got to kick somebody else off. Um, that will bring him in the door to Vikings minicamp. And really, a, a lot of times with these Vikings minicamp guys, a lot of these local guys, it's because they're local. You know, hey, we need to kind of fill this thing out with like 60 bodies and we don't want to pay for a plane ticket. So let's just invite the kid from Duluth. He can drive down. Um, that's I mean, that's that's how it worked for like Adam Thielen. That's how it worked. I, I want to say Chad Beebe was that, too. Or, well, I, I don't think he was uh, local, but. That's he was a rookie minicamp guy, at least. But that's that's how a lot of these rookie minicamp invites go. It's a lot of local kids. Um, and that gives CJ Ham the only opportunity that he needs. He will sneak on to, I believe, the practice squad his first year uh, and 
you know, eventually things blossom into a real career. You're not the fan favorite, you know, the native kid. And I don't think that this story should be about, and he got this many yards and this is how he did. This story is not so much about football. Uh, it's about family and faith. And if you want to know CJ Ham, you got to know those two things, family and faith. Before every game, he'll pray as many players do, and he will write mom on his wristband, followed by his wife's initials and the initials of his daughters. Um, he's also, I mean, he's a mama's boy. He will go, he will, he'll call his mom every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, just to talk about everything, life, faith, football, everything. Um, and I want to take you to the 2019 season, which is one of CJ Ham's best. That's a good season for the Vikings. It also comes with a little bit of a late buy. It's a tough year for the Hams because Tina Ham, CJ Ham's mother, will be diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. It's one of the hardest cancers to detect, one of the hardest cancers to treat because by the time you detect it, it is often very late in the process. It is functionally a death sentence. She has 12 months to live. And on the bye week in 2019, C.J. Ham will take his entire family to a vacation to Palm Beach, Florida. Um, his father sees the ocean, swims in the ocean for the first time. His mother gets to go and hang out on the beach. And, um, you know, the wife, the kids, everybody has a great time. It is truly this phenomenal moment of peace where faith and family can converge kind of on the back of football uh, you know, being able to to provide this for his family. It is this truly peaceful and, and beautiful moment. It's the end of the movie. Um, but hey, life isn't a movie where credits get to roll as soon as we're happy. 2020 will be a much harder year for everybody, but for CJ Ham in particular, for the whole Ham family. Um, but it starts out on a very, very good note for CJ Ham. He will uh, after the 2019 season, he will get a Pro Bowl nod, and he actually gets to go to Hawaii and participate in the Pro Bowl. He's got his gold Pro Bowl jersey. Uh, and he will, a couple months later, sign an extension for some more substantial money than he was making on just like a uh, you know an undrafted free agent's contract and you know exclusive rights tender kind of stuff. This is, this, that was real money that he's finally making starting from 2020. Um, his mother makes it through both of those events, gets to see through both of those events. And that's another time when CJ Ham really says he's seeing like God work through in his life. He really sees God, God's hand in that faith in family. Um, his mother will, will pass away shortly after. And there is this incredible inspiration during all of this. Of course, COVID is starting to break out and uh, you know, the, the, the world is all changing just as soon as, Everything in his career peaks. Everything everywhere else falls apart. But he draws a ton of strength from his mother in this time. The way that, that Tina Ham fights cancer and the strength that she shows. It's like if she can get through that, through that I can get through anything. That's the way that he thinks about it. And he can. He plays in 2020, 2021. Last year, gets another extension. He's a, a fixture on the Vikings, um, but it's hard. It's never going to be the same. Life's unfair like that. He doesn't have someone to call every day. There's just never going to be anyone with that that relationship that you, that you know a mama's boy has with his mom. Um, but he still has his 
beautiful family, his wife, his kids, his dad, and his family on the Vikings. CJ Ham ultimately is a happy person, and football is an avenue to that. And there's something really, really beautiful about that being the result of somebody who mostly does the dirty work. There's a lot to appreciate there. A couple of days left in this pre-recorded week. I'll see what we talk about. Um, if there's anything super, super major that I like, have to talk about, maybe I'll try to do one on the, on the road, but no, no promises. Uh, I'll keep you posted on all of that. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull. <laughs>